It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, since that is the end of all mankind and all the living should take it to heart. The words of Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 2. Not the most positive way to start a talk on the resurrection, is it? But these words by the writer of Ecclesiastes are wise words that it's good for us to listen to. In the house of mourning, in the seats of a funeral, there is a clarity of thought and reflection that that only death can bring. In the face of the end of life, we see the emptiness, the stupidity of living life for money, for power, for influence and acclaim, for the things that so quickly just pass away. At funerals, people keep grasping for hope beyond the grave, for something that's going to comfort them in the face of the, of the horror, the grief of death. When faced with death, it seems almost impossible for people to hold on to the belief that death is the end. There's got to be more. We yearn for something more. We yearn for a hope that answers the finality of death. What becomes crystal clear in the house of mourning is that death really is a curse. It's better to go to the house of mourning so that we can see with clarity the curse we are under and understand our yearning for true and eternal hope. So as we open up chapter 20 of John, we enter into a house of mourning. And the, and the grief in that house is bitter grief. Not only has a friend and loved one died, someone who meant the world to the people in this house, but these mourners had pinned their lives and their hopes and their dreams on this man that they thought was their king. They had left everything to follow him. And those hopes and those dreams were all shattered like a rock going through a window just a few days before when Jesus died. But in these verses, beginning of chapter 20, we see the power of the resurrection. We see the necessity of the resurrection. In the face of the curse of death, this chapter brings life and hope and meaning. So let's go back to that amazing day. Let's see it all unfold again and see why this day, the day of the resurrection of Jesus, makes sense of death, makes sense of life and what it means to believe in a resurrected Jesus. Since the end of chapter 19, since that moment, the Passover Sabbath has been and gone. One dark night has passed, Friday night, followed by a Sabbath full of sorrow and grief, confused grief rather than celebration, and then followed by another dark night. And as we open the first verse of chapter 20, the first day of the week, is about to dawn. It's early. John tells us that the first rays of light have now struck the trees. Have not yet struck the trees. It's still dark. But the day is about to dawn. Light is about to shine into the darkness. John shows us a woman walking to the tomb in the dark of that early morning. But coming to the tomb, she gets the first of two shocks. She came expecting to find the tomb closed and sealed. Instead, she sees the stone is rolled away. And she runs, she turns and runs, runs back to the city, to Peter and John. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. She's horrified by what she assumes has happened. So Peter and John, they run to the tomb 
in that early morning. They're in such a rush they can't get there fast enough and John lets us know he gets there first. He stands outside the tomb, too afraid to go in, peers around the entrance and sees the linen cloth lying there that we use to wrap Jesus' body. Peter arrives a little bit later, out of breath, full of bravado, typical Peter, he just runs straight in. And then John tells us what they both saw with their own eyes that early morning. The linen cloths that we used to cover his body were lying in the tomb where the body should have been, separately to those cloths, folded up, is the wrapping that covered his head. I love that beautiful eyewitness detail that John gives us here. That transports us to the moment that Jesus rose from the dead. There, Jesus, wrapped up in cloths, wakes up from death, rises from the dead, takes off the cloths, takes off the, the cloth that's wrapped around his head and his face, and he, and he takes the time to fold the cloths and places it separate to the cloths that were wrapped around his body. And then he walks out of the tomb. Such a beautiful detail, isn't it, that we see there in that verse. This is the moment that death is defeated. This is the moment that the sting of death is removed. The astounding power of God is revealed in this moment. This is the moment where everything changes. But those who were there that morning failed to appreciate the significance, the, the momentous enormity of what's just taken place. So in John and Mary, we see three different initial responses to the empty tomb, and all of them fall short. The first response we see in, John, uh, in John's Gospel, in chapter 20, is in verse 8. Initially, it looks good. The other disciple who'd reached the tomb first, he tells us again, then also went in and saw and believed. So he believed. It's a good thing, isn't it? But what did he believe exactly? Because in the next verse, we're told that they failed to understand from Scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. And then Peter and John just go home. Seems a strange thing to do. If you believe that the most momentous event ever to happen on the planet has just happened. And you're some of the first witnesses of it to find out what has actually gone on. So what does John actually believe? We're not told what he actually believed. He seems to believe that Jesus is risen, but that belief is incomplete. He fails to appreciate the significance and the necessity of the resurrection. And he's left with questions and few answers, a belief that fails to recognise the truth of what's just unfolded. And so John, with Peter, walks back home to the city, confused, lacking in understanding. Mary's initial response to the empty tomb was to run, tell Peter and John. But after they'd ran ahead to the tomb, Mary makes her way back there as well. And this time, her response to the empty tomb is a flood of tears, is weeping. Verse 11, with eyes full of tears, Mary stoops to look into the tomb that John and Peter have just walked away from. And she sees two angels who ask her why she's crying, why she's weeping. She still thinks someone has moved the body of Jesus and so she wants to know where they've taken it. Then she turns around, eyes still full of tears. 
Jesus is cheekily standing there, raised from the dead, but she still doesn't get it, doesn't recognise him. She still thinks someone has removed the body of Jesus and she wants to know where. Woman, Jesus says to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Before we come to the moment where Mary realises the wonder of what's just happened, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I want you to notice that he, she's asked twice, woman, why are you crying? Why does John want to highlight that and repeat it for us? Because now is not the time for weeping. Now is not the time for crying. The empty tomb is not a cause for weeping and crying, but a cause for overflowing joy and celebration of excitement and announcement, not tears. Our Lord is risen. And then John takes us to that wonderful moment of realisation for Mary. Jesus looks at Mary with those familiar eyes. Mary, he says. And then she recognises, she sees, she believes, and she responds in a different way. But a different way that still falls short and is inadequate. She clings. We hear the words that come from Mary's mouth, don't we? Rabboni, a title of intimacy and respect, of a, of a student who once again to, wants to sit at the feet of the Master and be taught and learn and be encouraged. But Jesus responds to her with a gentle reproof. Don't cling to me, he says. Now is not the time to cling to me. Mary wants to be with Jesus, stay with Jesus, and for Jesus not to go away again. But Jesus says, no, it's not the time to cling. That time will come, but it's not yet. Now is not the time to stay and cling. Now is the time to go and tell. We'll come to how we need to respond to the resurrection soon and the way that Mary does too after this initial response. But before we think through the way that we need to respond to this, we need to consider the enormity, the necessity of the resurrection that John highlights here. When John lets us know of his, his initial inadequate belief to the resurrected Jesus back in verse 8, he tells us that they did not understand from Scripture that he must rise from the dead. Why is it a must? Why is it necessary that Jesus rises from the dead? Partly it's because of the promises of Scripture that John mentions here in verse 8. Part of what Peter and John failed to appreciate and understand was the promise of the resurrection of God's King, the Messiah. Just some days from this moment, the disciples, including Peter and John, received the Spirit. And again in Jerusalem, they announce the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ to the crowd. Have a look at these words from Acts chapter 2. Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. For David says of him, I saw the Lord ever before me. He's quoting Psalm 16 here. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope because he will not abandon me in Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay. 
You have revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. Brothers and sisters, Peter says, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the, of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades and his flesh did not experience de decay. God has raised this Jesus and we are all witnesses of this, he says. See how Peter gets it? And John gets it too. Jesus had to rise. Because God promised he would. It was part of God's plan to fulfill God's promises Jesus had to rise. But it's more than just specific promises of God's chosen king that he would rise from the dead, like Psalm 16. There's more going on here. Jesus had to rise because otherwise we are lost in sin, otherwise we are defeated by death, otherwise we are unable to know God. In chapter 1, John lets us know that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But if the Lamb stays dead, then sin is not paid for. We are still lost in our sins. How can we know that the penalty has been paid if Jesus didn't rise? If Jesus didn't rise, we are still left with our sins undealt with. We are left with the weight of guilt of sins unforgiven with no way forward under the weight of our shame and guilt. Jesus had to rise or we are still broken in our sins. In chapter 1, John also tells us that Jesus is the light of life. Let me read to you verses 4 and 5 of John chapter 1. All things were created through him and apart from him not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. How can Jesus be the source of life if he stays dead? It doesn't work. If death defeats him, if he dies, if he stays dead, then the light only shone in the darkness for a short time, and then darkness wins. And we are left in darkness, overcome by the power of death. If Jesus doesn't rise, then death wins. Wins over Jesus and will win over us. In the face of death of those who are close to us, all we will have, if there's no resurrection, all we have is platitudes, empty platitudes, like they're looking down on us. Empty, baseless hopes and dreams in the face of the power of death. That's all we'll have. Jesus didn't rise. When we die, we have no hope of life. of resurrection to life. All that will face us after death is curse and judgment and the horrors of hell. Jesus had to rise because otherwise death wins. In chapter 1, John also tells us that Jesus is the living word of God. He's the living revelation of God himself. John said these words about Jesus in verse 18 of chapter 1. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son who is himself God, and is at the Father's side, has revealed him. If Jesus stays dead, how can Jesus be the living word of God? How can he continue to reveal God's glory to us? If Jesus doesn't rise, then we will still be ignorant of who God is. We won't know God. 
We won't know who we are in his sight. We won't know what it is to have a relationship with him. We are lost. Jesus said he would rise from the dead. So if he stays in the grave, Jesus couldn't be God's son. He couldn't reveal God to us because he's a liar. He's a fraud. His words aren't worth listening to. The resurrection had to happen. It had to happen as soon as sin enters the world. Sin brings death and curse and broken relationship with God and each other. Without the resurrection, we're left in that curse. We're left in that sin. We're left under the power of death. I hope you can now see the enormity of the resurrection, why Jesus had to rise, as John tells us in verse 8. Can you see the wonder of what happened that day? What it is that John failed to appreciate when he first believed that Jesus rose from the grave. The necessity, the wonder, the hope, the glory, the power of the empty tomb. And to help us to continue to consider the wonder of what God has done in raising Jesus from the dead, have a look at Jesus' words to Mary, verse 17. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God. And your God. Aren't they wonderful, beautiful words? My Father and your Father. My God and your God. So personal. The resurrection of Jesus means we can call God Father. The resurrection of Jesus means we can call Jesus Brother. The death and resurrection of Jesus both together brings restoration between us and God. The one without the other doesn't work. If Jesus didn't rise, then we can't call God Father and we can't call Jesus our brother. But because of the resurrection, we can. And so heaven is our home. So in these verses, we see three different, three inadequate responses to the empty tomb. Initially, the incomplete belief of John, who, yes, believed that Jesus rose from the dead, but doesn't understand the significance of it yet. We see the tears of Mary as she can't comprehend the possibility that Jesus would rise from the grave. The clinging of Mary as she's determined not to let Jesus go again. Failing to see that now is not the time to stay and to cling. It's now time to go and to speak. Let me ask you, what's your response to the empty tomb? Are you a bit like Mary? Failing to fathom even the possibility that Jesus would rise from the grave. Is it just a fairy tale to you, this idea of resurrection, of bodily resurrection? Dead people don't rise. Have you ruled out the possibility of resurrection simply because you don't think it could happen? Now, I haven't got time today to unpack the evidences for the resurrection, the defence for it, but if that's your response, you really need to look at the evidence and make a considered decision. Consider the evidence, the whole in history that is explained only by the resurrection of the Jesus Christ from the grave. The explosion of the church across the Roman world mere months after the resurrection. A church confident that Jesus rose bodily from the grave. If you've never looked into the evidence, let me encourage you to do just that. Because if the resurrection didn't happen, then Christianity is a lie. 
It's a farce. It's a waste of time. But if it's true, if it's true, then it really is the dawning of a new day. Maybe you're a bit like John's initial reaction to the empty tomb. You believe it's happened, but you don't really appreciate the reason, the significance, the wonder of what that day means, of what the resurrection means, and what it says about life now. Yeah, it happened, and then like John, you go back home as if nothing's really changed. If that is you, then look again at the resurrection. Put yourself, place yourself into the house of mourning. Consider the resurrection in the face of the horror of death. Consider again the wonder of the resurrection it says, and what it says about our life now and what it means that life matters as eternity is real. Have a look at what Jesus says to Mary in verse 17. Don't cling to me since I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go and tell. Now is the time for Mary to go and tell. And you know what? She does just that. She goes and she speaks. And so did Peter. And so did John. Death's been defeated. The curse of sin has now been replaced by blessing. The blessing of living relationship with God. Now's the time to go. Now's the time to speak. The belief of John when he first saw the empty tomb was inadequate. He, he knew Jesus rose from the dead, but he didn't appreciate the significance of what has happened. The necessity of it. But before long, John would appreciate it. And know it. And understand it. And would go. And would speak and would speak, and would speak, and it would land him in prison, and he would die because of that belief, because of that word he would speak of the resurrected Jesus Christ from the grave. The resurrection of Jesus from the grave changed everything forever. It turned the world upside down. It changed Mary. It changed John. It changed Peter. It changed all the disciples. Has the resurrection changed you? Do you believe the resurrection? Do you believe that death has been defeated? Do you believe that the curse of sin is gone? Do you believe the resurrection? How will that impact on the way that you treat others? How will it impact on the way that you hold to the things of this world? How will it impact on the things that are passing away like grass on a field? How will it impact on the way that you spend your time? How will it impact on the way that you suffer? How will it impact on the way that you grieve? If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then what we do in this life doesn't matter. It'll all be forgotten. We all die. If the resurrection didn't happen, all we do is just an empty blip on an unfathomable expense of time and space. Death sucks the meaning out of life. But the resurrection wins it back again. So give your life knowing that it really matters. That there really is life and hope and blessing beyond the grave. Just as Jesus rose bodily from the dead. So were we. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that you sent your son into this world. As we head into this Christmas season, we want to thank you that, the, that Jesus didn't just stay a little child in a manger, but he lived, he grew, he suffered, 
he died and he rose. That was to believe in the resurrection of Jesus and the wonder and the hope and the victory that that brings. Help us to live, help us to go, help us to speak, knowing that Jesus is risen from the grave. Amen.